Welcome to the 2024 season for Explore Yellowstone Like a Loco, the number one podcast for Yellowstone and Grand Teton National Parks and home to the top-rated guidebook of the same name. And I'm your author as well as your host for this and all the other podcasts as well as the videos, Teddy Garland. And this podcast is one that is listed in the guidebook for you to listen to if you want to hear some fun stories about the roads you will be driving on getting to the one-day adventure that you chose out of the guidebook. The guidebook has been called the best guidebook ever written for Yellowstone Park and a must-have for any trip to Yellowstone and even the Bible for Yellowstone Park. So, if you guys are thinking about getting a guidebook for your Yellowstone vacation and you want some more information before you purchase one, simply listen to my Introduction to Explore Yellowstone Like a Local podcast or you can watch my YouTube video of the same name, and there you will hear my family's history in the area of over 100 years, my knowledge of Yellowstone Park, and how easy the guidebook is to use, how it breaks the enormous size of Yellowstone Park down into manageable bites or areas that you can easily and enjoyably visit in a single day, and in the planning your Yellowstone vacation chapter, how the guidebook helps you save time by beating all the crowds to all the top sites, and how to save thousands of dollars on your Yellowstone vacation by following my money-saving tips on flights, lodging, and dining. And I highly recommend anybody listening to this podcast join our Explore Yellowstone Like a Local Facebook group where you will see hundreds of sparkling reviews of the guidebook as well as thousands of pictures that you guys have posted of you guys having a great time in Yellowstone Park with the help of the guidebook. To get your copy of the guidebook, simply go to our website, exploreyellowstonelikealocal.com, where you can get an electronic copy downloaded to your phone or device for only 12 bucks or a paperback copy for 25 bucks and i write a personal note to everyone who buys one and throw in a cool yellowstone park sticker as well and there's some combo deals on there that are very popular where people buy an electronic copy and a paperback and save some jack but everybody be aware that we only print off a thousand paperback copies a season to do our part to help save the environment and all that you guys all are be it visiting a national park so <laughs> we will sell out of those thousand copies. This is 2024, and in 2023, we sold out about August 10th. So we, with our growing popularity, we will sell out before that in the 2024 season. So if you want a paperback, get it ordered now. And you'll also see our store on there. We'll have some cool t-shirts and truckers hats and stuff like that on there for you guys to order if you want that. And if you guys happen to be picking up on these podcasts and you're already up there and you want a paperback copy, we have a few copies sent to the Book Peddler and West Park Outdoors in West Yellowstone, and you can pick up a paperback copy from them. So let's get started. And remember, if you guys want to watch a YouTube video of me kind of doing the shortened versions of this podcast, you guys can watch a YouTube video of this and all the other junction-to-junction roads in Yellowstone Park 
then uh, you guys can see me talking with a map in the background. I kind of point out some things and things like that. And it's a little bit shortened version than these podcasts are. So, all right, let's get rolling. And this podcast is one that is listed in the guidebook for you to listen to if you want some more information and to hear some funny stories. Remember, the guidebook is the cake. These podcasts are simply... Give me a venue to tell you guys some fun stories, and there's some fun stories in this one, I promise you, and those stories are just too lengthy to put in the guidebook. So let's get started with Madison Junction to Norris, and if you're listening to this podcast, you're going north away from Old Faithful, and you're basically going up towards the canyon area, and you're going to do the south loop, or you're going to go north towards Mammoth and do the north loop and hunt for bears and wolves. This podcast would be one you would listen to on one of those two routes. All right, let's get cooking. All right, so once you hit Madison Junction, whether you came from West Yellowstone, or you came from the south, or however you guys get to Madison Junction, you're going to turn left or go north. The first thing you're going to see, the road kind of clears out of some trees real quickly, is Terrace Springs up on your left. If you're coming from West Yellowstone and this is the first day you've been in the park, this is going to be your first glimpse of uh, what geysers and stuff look like. There's kind of a geyser that goes off in this small pond called Terrace Springs and it kind of weaves its way over the overflow down there and kind of comes over to the under the road and kind of fans out to your right right through there in that big meadow and in that big meadow is a great chance to see bison in the spring and uh, elk in the fall there's always uh, some bison and elk hanging out through here so keep your eye open on the right in that larger meadow right through there as you keep going past Terra Springs, the Gibbon River, which seems quite a ways away in that meadow, will quickly kind of snake its way over there right to the right edge of the road. And uh, you're going to be passing through a really interesting spot. To your left is the basically the edge of the caldera. So at that point on your left, you kind of see a pretty steep rock face off to your left. And as you keep going down the road, the rocks kind of turn a pinkish red color. It's really, really pretty. And that mountain is called Purple Mountain. Probably ought to call it Pink Mountain since the rocks are pink, but they call it Purple Mountain. And remember, 90% of the park has black volcanic rock, but for some reason, these are pink or purple rocks. So anyway, as you drive along for the next four or five miles, there's not a whole lot to see. The gibbon's going to be on your right, and you're kind of going in and out of the trees and everywhere else. But a long straightaway, this, the road kind of straightens out to the you know really, really flat there for a while, and those pink rocks where they cut the road in are really exposed right there on your left. It's a neat little spot, so, so here's, here's, here's your first story of the day. Uh, what happened was I, I got into the park really early one morning, one fall, probably the fall of 2010-ish, ish, right around through there. And I was busting through the park. I was going to go to the canyon area and do some hiking. I was going through there, and I was just following this car, you know, doing 55, 50 miles an hour, 55. The speed limit's 45, but in the morning, you know, everybody, there's not much traffic, and everybody's going a little bit faster. And I'm going through those pink little rocks are on the left. It's a dead straightaway for almost a mile right through there. So you guys will see it when you're driving along. It's before you get to the Gibbon Falls uh, picnic area on the right, about a block or two. Well, this car is in front of me, you know, you know, block in front of me, whatever, you know. I mean, just out of the blue, out of the wild blue yonder, this car just makes a dead right turn. I mean, just dead right turn right into the trees. The Gibbon River's over there about 100 
50 feet, so it's, you know, they're not going to fall in the water. But I'm telling you what, you guys, that car took off the side of that road, dust flying underneath it. I mean, it looked like something right out of a movie. I mean, I'm looking at the undercarriages, the motor, you know, is heavier than the back of the car. Then the nose starts to die. It's about 30 feet in the air. It's just coming off the road right there. The, I mean, the wheels are spinning. I can see the, the, the drive shaft under the car and the whole deal. And I was going, oh my God. And, you know, it's just, do 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 you know, through these trees, and it ends up hanging down there, about four or five feet off the ground, I guess, down there, in midair with a motor still running everything else. I would pull over and stop. There's a guy behind me in a pickup truck. He pulls over and stops. By the time he gets out of his car, I'm down that hill down there, and all of a sudden, this little little Asian lady, she jumps out of the driver's side. She jumps out of the driver's side, just you know, down on the ground and everything. She just comes up yelling at me. She had not a mark on her. I mean, not a mark on her. She comes up to me and just starts shaking me by the shoulder. We got no insurance. We got no insurance. And I said, man, take it easy, man. You know, and I just, it's like, she, we got no insurance. That's all she's worried about is we got no insurance. It's like, man, whatever. And so this guy kind of down there and he goes, hey, you know, I said, hey, can you take care of her? You know, make sure she's she's okay. She seems fine to me. And she just runs up that hill like it's nobody's business. And I said, hey, man, is there anybody else in the car? She goes, yeah, 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 my husband. My husband's in the car. Okay, let's don't forget about him. So I run around to the right side of the car and he opens the door and uh, her's three or four feet in the air still hasn't looking, you know, kind of looking, my eyes were about waist level with him, him sitting there, and his airbag had gone off for some reason. Hers didn't. I don't know why, but it didn't. And his airbag had gone off and hit him in the face, and it bloodied up his nose pretty good. But outside of that, he was okay. He was in a little bit of shock. He really didn't, wasn't talking, wasn't talking like her, that's for sure. But uh, he kind of just, you know, out there, and he's kind of unbuckles his seatbelt, and I'm trying to grab a hold of him a little bit, and he kind of puts his feet out, he jumps down. I kind of hold him. And I said, you okay? And he just, you know, nods his head. Doesn't say a word. I mean, obviously she's the one that does all the talking in this, in this relationship for sure. You know, he just nods his head. He got drilled into a tree doing about 50 miles an hour flying through the air like, like a Clint Eastwood movie back in the day. So, you know, we're walking him back up the hill and trying to get him up the hill. And he, he's pretty shook up. He, he's pretty shook up. So we kind of stop. And I said, hey, I'm going to stay down here with this guy for a second. And uh, he got kind of weighs me off and he kind of motions that he wants to go up the hill. It's a pretty steep little hill right through there. So we get up through there and I'm kind of, car- kind of carrying him up there. And here comes a ranger finally coming from the other direction, coming from Norris to, to uh, Madison Junction. Pulls over, puts the lights on and the whole deal. And I get up there and tell him what all happened and everything else. The car's still down there running. I mean, both doors are open, cars running, lights are on, the whole nine yards, you know. So I go back down there and I turn the car off and she's still up there telling anybody that'll listen, we got no insurance. We got no insurance. It's like, man, I'm sitting there. And I, you know, I said, I asked a ranger for you. I was good to go and everything else. He said, yeah, yeah, you're good to go. I gave him my local number if he needed to call me and everything else. And so, you know, I never heard a word about it after that. But I was just getting in the car going, man, they'll give a rental car to anybody. I mean, just come on.
So when I got back to the cabin, I called my buddy Doug, who owns the Avis dealership up there at the airport, and I go, hey man, did you rent a car to some Asian tourist and a uh, little old lady and all that kind of stuff? And he goes, yep. And he goes, she's a talker, isn't she? And I go, yes, she is. And I told him the whole story, cars flying through the air and the whole deal. He just goes, oh my God. That was pretty funny. That was uh, that was one of those weird deals where, I mean, right turn collide and boy, just woo, off the cliff right there. So anyway... Uh, uh, about a, a half a mile up the road, a little bit, a few blocks from where those pink rocks kind of end, the road is going to make a quick, sharp left and start heading up the hill to Gibbon Falls. Well, at the bottom of that hill, before the road goes up, you'll see a small sign for Gibbon Picnic Area. And this is probably one of the worst, ugliest picnic areas in the entire park. However, it is an absolutely phenomenal spot on a warm day to hike up to the base of Gibbon Falls and get underneath it because the water coming off Gibbon Falls is thermally heated. It's probably in the high 80s, low 90s, but it's a killer spot to go swimming. It's also a killer spot to go fishing. So I'm gonna here's the next story about uh, up the road here. I'm gonna tell you a story about a uh, cool story about Gibbon Falls. There's not much to see and do along this section of road, so I might as well throw in some stories along through here for you guys. All right, this whole thing about Gibbon Falls started back when I was probably 12 years old. We uh, would go fishing on the Madison River below Quake Lake, down between the Quake Lake area and Ennis on the Madison River, which is my dad's favorite thing to do. So we went there two or three days a week at least. But the Madison River below Quake Lake to Ennis is the number one trout fishing river on the planet, hands down, year in and year out for the last hundred years. It is the holy grail of trout fishing in the world is the Madison River down. And the slide in is a aptly named little little lodge area and they have some motorhome parking stalls behind it and everything else right below the slide where Quake Lake is formed. And if you guys don't know the history of the of the Quake Lake and the and the and the earthquakes that occurred back in the 50s, my parents actually helped look for bodies in this slide for a couple days after it occurred. There's still 29 people I think buried in that slide in underneath it. When you see it, you're going to oh my god, yeah, you know, wonder they couldn't find. I mean, it's hundreds of feet deep and half a mile wide. It's it's incredible and there's a fabulous driving tour that the Forest Service has set up that starts over where the quake started over by Lake Hebgen and ends over there where all the people are buried. I've got all the information in the guidebook. But anyway, the slide in is right down there, and that's where we, every spring, we got our fishing licenses to go fish the Madison. And back then, you know, nobody had cell phones and all this stuff way back then. And so they would have, a lot of people take Polaroid pictures. So I'm walking along there and I already filled out my forms for my fishing license for the year. And underneath this glass counter was just a series of pictures of fish everybody had caught, you know, up and down the Madison or wherever. And there's this buddy of mine, this kid, he's probably about 14 or 15, couple, two or three years older than I was. There he is sitting there uh, with this big brook trout, and it's hard to catch a big brook trout, and he's got this huge smile on his face, but there's water just pouring all over him. He's just soaking wet, fly rod in one hand, big brook trout in the other, and just big grin on his face and water just pouring all over him. I was going, man, that's really cool. That's one of the coolest pictures I've ever seen. And I go, where's that? And he goes, man, that's at the base of Gibbon Falls in Yellowstone Park. And I said, no kidding. It's like, God, well, i got to make a mental note to go fish that. Well, 20 years goes by before I actually pull that off. And uh, me and a buddy of mine, Jason, were coming out of the park one day, and we both had our fly rods in the truck, and we decided to stop there and go do that. So we hiked up there. 
right to the base of the falls, and it was a great hike, and I've got this listed in the guidebook for you guys. I mean, even small, younger kids could do this. Not little, tiny kids, four or five years old, but if you've got a nine or ten-year-old or a teenager, you know, I've got this hike listed in the guidebook for you guys to go do as a good, short day hike. And so we get up in there, and it's just a beautiful hike. You're kind of in the water, out of the water, in the water, out of the water, so you got to have, you know you're going to get a little wet, so do it on a warm day. But you get up in there, and you're just right at the base of the falls. You know, there'll be 500 people up at the viewing platforms above you looking down at you, and, you know, it's really, really cool. And uh, but I pulled this killer brook trout out of there. We found later on at that night that it might have been a state record, and but we didn't have any way to record it. I, of course, did catch a release like you're supposed to do in the park. But, but that's a really, really cool area, and everybody should go visit that on a warm day. You guys have sent us pictures, and we have put them in the guidebook because they are top-notch, of you guys at the base of Gibbon Falls of videos of that you guys in there and just having a ball. It is a great spot to go swimming. Now you'll have the whole place to yourself because nobody knows how to get up there. They said they had people yelling down at them from above how did you guys get down there and all this stuff? Well, now you guys know, and it's all in the guide, but that is a, that getting to the base of Gibbon Falls, you're not up there looking at Gibbon Falls. You are in Gibbon Falls. It, it, it's absolutely top-notch. So that's a great hike. You know, it only takes 15, 20 minutes to get up there from the car. But all the information about where to park, where the trail is, how you get down there, and how you get up to the falls, all that information is listed in the guidebook for you guys. On up the road, and you'll get to the top of the hill after you kind of go around the corner and you're heading up the hill, you'll see all the, the areas where people stand to take pictures of Gibbon Falls. And you have to park and then walk quite a ways to get a good picture of Gibbon Falls. But I say, like, if you walk down to the bottom, get up in Gibbon Falls, you're going to be part of it, not just taking a picture of it. All right, back in the car and go past the Gibbon Falls parking lot, and then the road will kind of leave the river there for a while. It used to go right down next to it, but it was a terrible road, so they abandoned it and put in this new one. And then the road now goes up and goes over this little hill. You'll come down, and, and the road will quickly join up with the Gibbon River again. You'll quickly come to Barrel Spring. And Barrel Spring is kind of interesting. It's this big hot pool just bubbling constantly, but it's literally right off the road, 20 feet. You, you can slow down and take a picture with your car. And if you're going to come back towards West Yellowstone or wherever you're staying that evening, you're going to go right by it again, and it'll be your car will be even closer to it because you'll be on the right-hand side of the road. So there's no reason to ever stop at Barrel Spring. There is a funny story about Barrel Spring and that area to your right, right there, as you're driving along. Here's just another quick funny story to help uh, take up a little time on this road. Every spring in uh, April, they always have this arts festival uh, in Oklahoma City, and it's kind of a traveling show. I think it goes from Kansas City to Oklahoma City, Oklahoma City to Dallas, Dallas to Houston, and no, 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 no. But these people that draw, you know, take pictures and draw paintings and do sculptures and all this stuff, you know, sell their wares for like four or five days here in Oklahoma City, and then they travel to the next town. But there's some really, really top-notch art there. It's really, it's put on by the Museum of Art in Oklahoma City. It's a top-notch deal. I was thumbing through there one year, got about... 2005-ish or something like that. And uh, I was walking along and I kind of looked for Yellowstone stuff, see if I want to add it to my collection or anything else. And, you know, I walked along this one area and I kind of looked over and I said, well, that, that, you know, I can see some geysers and some steam going off. So I walked over there and it was a photograph. It was a blown up photograph. It's probably 18 inches by 24 inches or so, you know, give or take. And, and it was taken about 100 yards past Barrel Spring on the right, right there, where all those, you'll see, if you look over there, you'll see a bunch of steam coming out of the ground, especially in the morning 
morning. Fumaroles coming up and all that stuff. There's really no water bubbling out of the ground, but you'll see a bunch of steam and fumaroles coming out of the ground over there. And it was taken right there on the side of the road. And uh, there was about three or four bison in the picture. One of them standing down the water and three or four of them up on the hill right there. You know, they migrate through there. And I was going, hey, I mean, that's a great spot. I know exactly where that is. It's right past Barrel Springs before you get the monument and all this stuff and no, 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 and all this kind of stuff. And I said, that's really, really cool. And I said, how much do you want for that, that, that photograph? And he goes, $8,000. I said, you know, I, I know, I, I'm just talking about the, the photograph right here. And he goes, yeah, it's $8,000. And I go, man, okay, I guess I missed my calling. I should have taken a picture of that a few times back in the day and got it blown up about 18 by 24 inches, put a frame around it. And I said, you know, I've been there. 500 times, maybe a 1,000, you know, and I've seen bison there probably a 100 times, you know, and a uh, guy goes, well, you should take a picture. And I said, okay, you know, I'm like, all right, sorry, sorry. I mean, I'm, I'm obviously in the wrong business, but, you know, I don't got to give the guy 40 bucks for it, 50 bucks maybe, eight dimes. Are you kidding me? It's like, man, he, yeah, there wasn't any use in haggling over that deal. I was just, that was ridiculous. And that was like 15 years ago. I mean, that was like 12 grand now. It's just unbelievable. But anyway, that is right past Barrel Spring, right there on the right. Those little funerals. So if you guys see a bison or two out there, snap you a few pictures. Maybe you can get eight dimes for that puppy. So anyway, on up the road about, God, 500 more yards. You'll see on the left the uh, pullout for monument and it just has the monument trailhead on the left you probably get two cars in this in this parking lot so obviously not a lot of people go to monument and that's right before you cross over this bridge that goes underneath the, the gibbon river oh and, and by the way you guys i don't mean to get sidetracked about anything right here but i kind of forgot to talk about this at the start the gibbon river is the longest continuous river in the united states its headwaters are up at Greb Lake, which is about two-thirds of the way from Norris to Canyon. There's a Greb Lake trail that goes back there about for 15 or 20 minutes, so you get to Greb Lake, and there's a bunch of Greb ducks hanging out on that Greb Lake, hence the name. But that is the headwaters for the Gibbon River. And it kind of bebops down through there and goes over a little waterfall and it comes under the road and da 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 And it goes, goes right where you're at now. But it swings around, meets up with the fire hole, creates the Madison. Madison goes into the Missouri. Missouri goes into the Mississippi. And it curly cues all the way back around and goes in down to the Gulf of Mexico, making the Gibbon River the longest continuous river in the United States. All right, pretty cool. Little fun, fun fact right there. So, uh, back to the monument trailhead right there. So, uh, monument is not worth seeing. There's some, I don't know. It just goes up to the top of this hill, and there's some stuff blocked off. You can't, and it's blocked off. You can't walk out there in it because you're in a geyser basin. But you can kind of see some stuff sticking up in the air, and it used to be in the bottom of the ocean. But there's a much cooler spot in Yellowstone Park to see seashells and fossilized stuff that was in the bottom of the ocean over at Pebble Creek. And I cover that in the guidebook in depth. However, Monument is the launching point for what I consider the best off-trail hike in all of Yellowstone Park. It gets you to the Gibbon Meadows, gets you to the Gibbon Meadow Geyser Basin, and it gets you over to Evening Primrose Spring, which is without question one of the most gorgeous pools in the world. And I bet less than 50 people have gotten back to that area since the inception of Yellowstone Park in 1872. It is a, it's very difficult to get to, 
and it's gorgeous hike. It's an unbelievable hike, and it's one of the reasons I wrote the guidebook. It is probably there's four hikes in the guidebook that really were the impetus for me writing the guidebook in the first place because I wanted people to know about these really cool spots, and this is the coolest of them all. This is the hippest off-trail hike to some of the best, most glorious pools in the world, and I'm telling you, before I wrote my guidebook, I bet less than a dozen or so people got back to this area in over a hundred years. If there was a, a road back there and boardwalks and all this stuff to those things, there would be fifteen to 20,000 people a day back there. Jostling in for that perfect selfie with these really cool pools and geysers behind them. Less than a hundred people been back to that area since the inception of Yellowstone Park in 1872. That's how cool that place is. I'm not gonna get into it here or how to do it or anything else because it is all covered in the hiking section in the guidebook. All right, so on up the road a little bit about another, God, everything's pretty quick. It's only a 14-mile section of road. Up the road a little bit is the turnoff on your right for the artist's paint pots. And I've got this short hike listed in the guidebook under my short day hikes that are suitable for the smallest hiker in your group. It only takes about 20, 25, 30 minutes if you really take your time from the, you know, it's a loop trail, comes back to your car and all that stuff. So if you're not doing anything, if you're not trying to get to anywhere today, like any time schedule or anything else, let's say, you, say you're not trying to get to Artist Point uh, now, you've already seen all that, you're just going to go look for bears or something, whatever, and it's still early in the morning, then go ahead and do this hike now or do it later in the day, just don't do it during the middle of the day when all the crowds are there. You're gonna be sharing that trail with um, 400 people, 300 people, 500 people, 250 people in the spring and the fall. I mean, it is overrun with people. All right, on up the road a little bit, and off to your left, if you guys are looking off to your left, that's the Gibbon Meadow off to your left, this big, beautiful, open meadow, and that's kind of what you're walking through to get to the Gibbon Meadow Geyser Basin. You can see the Geyser Basin off in the distance over there, about a mile and a half, two miles off the distance. You can see the steam rising through there and all that. That's where that Geyser Basin is, and then Evening Primrose Spring is back off to the left a little bit. That Gibbon Meadow is gorgeous. It's always got elk in it and bison in it and all this stuff. It's, it's beautiful. It's a great hike. I love it. All right, as you continue heading north, you'll pass the uh, Gibbon Picnic area on your left, and there's some restrooms right there that are usually aren't very crowded. They are pit toilets, but the restrooms back at the Artist Paint Pots are usually got a big line out of them because there's only one restroom and there's a ton of people using that trail. However, if you just go a block north up the road to the Gibbon Meadows Picnic area on the left, then you will uh, find a restroom there. There's actually a couple of them sitting right there and there's very rarely anybody there. And so the Gibbon River will be on your left, and there's a really cool update we did to the 2024 guidebook from this point on. So as you get back on the road, the road will kind of swing back to the right a little bit and start heading up a gentle hill. And if you look off to your left, you will see two large parking spots over there. They're real long and skinny, and then there's a little divider, and then there's another one that's real long and skinny. And you go, wow, why are those two parking spots there? Because you can't see anything. And so in the first one, if you'll stop in that very first parking lot, you'll 
find a little crack or opening right in the middle of that parking lot. So kind of get over there to the left, get off the road, slide up that parking lot, and then get to that opening, and then look off to your left, and you'll see the best example of a live chocolate pot found anywhere in Yellowstone Park. And it's really cool. It's active. It's got, looks like chocolate milk pouring out of it and this water and all these cool colors and everything else. This is also called a needle. And anybody that's been up to Mammoth or seen an old picture of Teddy Roosevelt when they came with his Rough Riders into Yellowstone Park, there's a huge one of these that has been dormant for tens upon thousands of years sitting on the ground up there at the base of the Mammoth Cascades coming down right over there. And Teddy Roosevelt and his Rough Riders took a picture in front of this thing. This one happens to still be active, and it keeps building up and building up every year. Remember, the water is really hard with minerals and things in it, and these things get taller and taller and bigger and bigger. But this is the best example of a live hot pot found anywhere in Yellowstone Park. Really, really cool little spot. Now, up the road a little bit, at the next pull off to your left. You're going to go, okay, why are we going up there? There's nothing there. And from the road, it looks like there's nothing there. But this used to be one of the most popular stops in all of Yellowstone Park. And in the guidebook, I have the reason why for you guys. And you, when you get a guidebook, you'll see all this stuff. So there's a couple things you can do here. A, this is a really good place to go swimming. And B, there's some really unique rock formations at what is called the Gibbon Cascades right through here. And so before the trees grew up, if these trees weren't here, the trees completely block off everything you're looking at behind those trees. You can't even see the river. It just looks like a wall of trees. Before these trees were there, this used to be one of the most popular stops in all of Yellowstone Park because these really cool rock formations are back there and there's these Gibbon Cascades, little Gibbon waterfalls, and it turns out it's a great place to go swimming. And I cover all of those things for you in the guidebook. How you do it, where you park, where the trail is, and everything. So this little spot on the left that 99.99999% of the people just drive right past is a great little stop. When I go down there and go swimming and all this kind of stuff, I come up out of the trees, Lisa and I do, and everybody looks over at us like we are out of our minds because there's nothing there you can see from the road. However, it is a great stop. It used to be one of the most popular stops in all of Yellowstone Park. Uh, back in the car, and you're going to keep heading up up the hill right there. We're you know we're trying to get to Norris. We're only about a mile, mile and a half away from Norris. And uh, right when you crest over the hill, the road will straighten out and just goes real straight for about five blocks. And that area on your left is called Elk Park. And unfortunately, there are never any elk in Elk Park. I bet I haven't seen any elk in that area in 20 years for some reason. I don't know why. But there are no elk in Elk Park anymore. So there's a few bison hanging out every now and then, but not very few elk in Elk Park. So, And you will start to see the, the first steam coming up through the trees out past Elk Park to the right a little bit, and that is Norris. So you're going to drive up the hill, and it swings back to the north a little bit to your left, and uh, you will come to Norris Junction. All right, so I'm going to cover my feelings about Norris uh, right here. I cover them in the guidebook basically by saying don't stop. But here's the story with Norris.
Okay, first off, nothing is predictable at Norris. You can't go and find a time that something's going to erupt and uh, go over there and wait 10 or 15 minutes and have it go off. There's nothing predictable at Norris. And Norris is, uh, there's a lot of dirt walkways. There's a few boardwalks, but mainly it's dirt walkways, and you're just kind of walking around looking at uh, hot pools. One interesting thing about Norris was in 20. 16, 17 time right through there. The ground on the outer loop on the southern end of the Norris Geyser Basin got so hot that they had to close it down because you're walking on the dirt. But that dirt got so hot, it was melting the soles off people's shoes as they were walking along. So it, Norris is a really, really hot area. It's, it's really interesting to geologists and all that, but as far as a visual, there's not a lot to see at Norris. It's, it's got some neat stuff, but uh, Norris has just become m amazingly popular over the last couple of years because Steamboat has been going off. And Steamboat was, and I emphasize was, the largest geyser on Earth. But for some reason, you know, you know, I've never, I've seen the steam phase of Steamboat a couple of times. We've been at Old Faithful and somebody goes, oh my God, Steamboat's going off. So we all jump in the car and drove up there as fast as we could, hoping to catch any bit of it. You know, we'd get to the steam phase. It was really, you know, it was just getting after it. And, and again, you're right there. It's only about 30 feet off the platforms, these kind of stair step platforms. There's some pictures of it going off you can see online. But uh, God, I miss that stupid thing. In 2012 or 13, I got there, got one cold October morning, snowing, all this kind of stuff, and uh, get over there, and it says, you know, the last time it went off, and it had gone off 45 minutes before I got there. I couldn't believe it. I was so mad. God dang it. And so, you know, I just drove over there because I just had anything else to do one day, and I was just getting, oh, look at Steamboat, and I just missed that stupid thing. But it was only going off once or twice a year. Yeah, but now... Since for about the last two years, the last two seasons, it's been going off multiple times a day. Which sounds great, but the problem of that is there's a limit of amount of water in the ground for it to push up into the air. And so it's only shooting off 50, 60, 70 feet in the air. And not the 350 or 400 that everybody expects when Steamboat goes off. So... Even if Steamboat goes off while you're there, it's only going to go off at best 75, 80, maybe 100 feet, and it's going to be really short-lived. I mean, Old Faithful goes off about 180, 200. Maybe you'll get a major eruption, 240, 250. Grand goes off every seven hours up at the Old Faithful area. That first eruption's about 200 feet in the air, and you're right there. It's a burst geyser. It's shooting a wall of water up in the air about 15 feet wide, 250 feet in the air. It looks like it's going to fall on you. And I have every stitch of information you're ever going to need how to go watch Grand go off in the guidebook and all the rest of the geysers in that geyser basin over there at Old Fateful. Before Steamboat started erupting, you'd go to Norris and be able to park anywhere you wanted and walk the whole thing and, and get back in your car and leave. There hardly be, be anybody over there because the whole thing's kind of a dud. I mean, honestly, it's about a 2 out of a 10 and the rest of Yellowstone Park's 10 out of 10. The only way I could ever recommend you guys go spend time in Norris, because there's so much better stuff to see in Yellowstone Park, is if you've seen everything else a couple of times. You've been to the, watched all the geysers go off 
twice or spent two days up there. Spent a couple days, you know, going to the canyon area and Artist Point and all that, and then spent another day hiking around the canyon area, and then uh, gone out down to the Hell Roaring Confluence down there to the Black Canyon of the Yellowstone. I mean, there's so much cooler stuff to see in Yellowstone Park besides Norris. I, it's just, you're going to walk in there, you're going to walk around for 30 or 45 minutes, get back in your car and go, hmm, okay. You know, so if you've been to Yellowstone Park a thousand times, then you if you've been to Yellowstone Park a thousand times, then you're not going to go to Norris because you know it's a dud. So anyway, I just don't recommend Norris unless you've just dying to knock it off your bucket list and say you've seen everything in, in the Yellowstone Park, then have at it. But as far as I'm concerned, if you're on a limited schedule, a two or three day schedule like that, don't mess with Norris. Don't even bother. It's just not worth it. So, all right. So that is the end of this driving tour from Madison Junction to Norris. We covered some fun stuff. The uh, Gibbon Falls is beautiful, and uh, I tell you guys how you can use do that as a day hike, and it's suitable for you know, young teens, preteens, but not small kids to get up right there to the base of the falls. And if you catch a warm day, it's a great swimming pot and it's a great fishing spot, obviously, because I caught that giant trout out of there, that brook trout. And then uh, right up the road a little bit, you could go hike to the uh, Gibbon Meadows area, that Gibbon Meadow Geyser Basin. Like I say, there the, all the information you need to get back there is in the guidebook. And there you're not going to find that hike on any other map trail guide, anything you guys can download anywhere in the world because it is very difficult to get to. You have to know exactly where to park so you don't have to ford the Gibbon River and on and on and on and all that information is in the guidebook for you guys. And you have to have compass headings and everything else to find everything. And I've got all of that information in the guidebook. And I think that is one of the top hikes, top day hikes in all of Yellowstone Park for sure. And then right up the road is a wonderful hike for little kids. But be sure and do it in the early in the morning or late in the afternoon as you're leaving the park. And to avoid all the huge crowds, because that is an, a stupidly popular hike, because it, it is easy, and a lot of people like easy stuff in Yellowstone Park. And then right up the roads, that chocolate pot. And then uh, you know, for the big updates for the 2024 guidebook, we've got another swimming spot right there in a little waterfall area. And I get you to what used to be one of the the top stops in all of Yellowstone Park, but it's simply blocked off from the road. But I tell you where to park where the trail is and how to get down there to it and and see all of that stuff so that is some big updates for the 2024 guidebook so all right you guys have a great time and then once you guys get to norse and uh, remember norse is a dud you want no part of norse unless you've been to yellowstone park for 20 years then go to norse that's about it and then but from norse you're going to go straight east to the canyon area and do the canyon area and do the south loop chapter in the guidebook or whatever you're going to do or you're going to go north and go hunt bears and wolves go up to mammoth and then go to tower and all that yada yada all that information, how to pull off those great days is, of course, in the guidebook for you. So, all right, everybody have a wonderful Yellowstone Park vacation, and I will talk to you guys later.